The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. Today on our show, we're learning about the benefits of land trusts. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour in X-Ray FM. I'm joined by Zoom. Uh, Kelly Beamer, she's executive director for the Coalition for Oregon Land Trust, otherwise known as Colt. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Phil. So I am going to start with some word definitions. So Coalition for the or- of Oregon Land Trust. Let's start with the end first. Land trust. What is a land trust? Great question. So Land Trust is a nonprofit organization whose mission is focused on protecting land. And this is an entity that's usually a community-based organization, um, mostly founded because there's a beloved piece of land in a a region that uh, is threatened to be developed, threatened to be converted, and it inspires people to band together and find ways to protect it. So land trusts range from small volunteer organizations that are very regional to statewide entities like the Wetlands Conservancy to even global organizations like the Nature Conservancy. So you're protecting the land. You you talked about you're protecting the land, but you're you're playing defense and you're playing offense. It sounds like you're playing defense Mm -hmm. in that you're protecting land from potentially from development. But I, there seems to be something also more optimistic going on. Absolutely. And I love that, that angle because our job as a statewide coalition is to celebrate this work. And so it's, it's amazing to look around the state of Oregon and, and see the positive victories happening. Um, the positive efforts happening are around habitat protection. They're around the great species that define our state, our incredible salmon runs. Um, land trusts have played a critical role in so many watersheds throughout the state, protecting salmon habitat um, and also restoring salmon habitat and, and looking at a future where uh, we can promote healthy and abundant runs. Um, this, this also includes places like, you know, the Zumal Prairie, a very rare high elevation ecosystem. Sorry, um, sorry the, the, the what prairie? Zumalt in Wallowa County. Oh, Phil, it is a gem that we have here in Oregon, in the far northeast corner of the state, uh, a beautiful native grassland prairie that would be just absolutely alive with wildflowers right now, um, was protected by the Nature Conservancy in partnership with a lot of private landowners, actually. And so there are what it's funny you say, you know, you hadn't heard of it because I, I feel like land trusts are sort of the best kept secret in the state. Yeah, and I want to I want to keep talking about that a little bit because I, let's let's keep defining land trust because it it can mm-hmm. be a novel concept and it's, a, it's an interesting concept. How are they different from say a state park? Yep, great question. So the land trust community, you know, as nonprofit organizations, they're private landowners. Um, 
and they're community-based organizations. So they work sort of in the voluntary private sphere. Uh, land trusts have a niche in kind of a real estate transaction field, and they're able to work with private landowners to use tools like uh, that allow them to buy the land outright to protect it. And then um, they can also use a conservation easement, which allows the land to remain in private ownership while the land trust protects those conservation values that will be carried with the land as the ownership changes over time in perpetuity. So if a ranch has incredible sage grouse um, habitat, a land trust can work with the landowner to make sure that that habitat's protected even when it is sold over. So those public values that we care about so much um, remain in trust, <laughs> they remain protected. So it's essentially a, a nonprofit that owns the land. Yes, or the rights to the land. Okay. It can own the land outright. It can purchase the develop, right, development rights and sort of keep them um, secure so that it's not, you know, as we talked about before, not subdivided. Um, it can also own the right to that habitat protection and, and in stewarding and ensuring in the long run that those special values are protected. Who pays for all of this then? <laughs> it takes a village. Uh -huh. uh, Landrists are brilliant at piecing together lots of creative funding solutions to make this happen. There are public programs in Oregon. We're really lucky. Seven and a half percent of our lottery revenue in the state is permanently devoted to land um, restoration, protection, habitat protection. And a piece of that funds land trusts. So we have a, we have a public funding source. Um, there's a few federal programs that chip in and help protect land. But the inspiring part for me is watching communities fundraise and come together with, uh, with donations and private foundations um, that step up. And literally, these, some of these capital campaigns can um, represent gifts from thousands of individuals. And so I, I, I started the interview saying that we are going to do some word definition uh, and we've been we've been talking for the past few minutes about what is a land trust and, and how does a land trust function. Mm -hmm. um, part of your organization's name, though, Coalition of Oregon Land Trust, that first word coalition, you're not actually having a land trust. That's right. And, 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 and then there are uh, member organizations that are part of Colt. Is that correct? That's right. We have about 30 member organizations. Um, most of them are our land trusts, but we also have several members that are soil and water conservation districts. Uh, we have a, a community group, a community association. Uh, we have, you know, we're very diverse in our size and um, geographic scope, but what unites all of our members is this focus on land. And so, can you translate that to acreage? Yes, we can translate that to acreage. So uh, it is pretty powerful when, when you do look at it. Um, you know, our members collectively have protected about 400,000 acres, which is, if you think about the Oregon State Park System, it's about four times the size of our state park system. Some of it is, is in private ownership and is protected through a conservation easement. Um, but a lot of it is open and available to the public. There's about a, a hundred thousand acres that um, land trusts own or manage that's available for every person to enjoy and see and experience. And how, how do I, I mean, how do I find, how do I, how do I find these? How do I go 
pack up a picnic and 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 go mm. uh, to one of these um, land trusts? Well, the great news is if you go to the Coalition of Oregon Land Trust website, um, a few things, we just launched a new map on Earth Day to celebrate these places. Uh, it's a really joyful little glimpse at so many corners of our state that land trusts have protected and are um, just wanting to bring folks to see. So you can download a map that has 81 uh, various locations across the state and details about how to get there and what kind of um, access you can expect. And honestly, once you start just digging into our members' websites, you'll find there's opportunities almost every weekend. Even in COVID, there's really, this community is flexed and been creative to bring nature into people's living rooms. Um, you know, talks about the great American beaver, uh, naturalists teaching kids about nature in their backyard. Um, but typically in the summer, you know, I sign up for all of their e-newsletters and it's almost like the smorgasbord of outdoor adventures. Um, you know, you could go to Klamath Lake and have a dragonfly hike. You can go to the, to the coast and, and taste oysters. You can hike uh, the Columbia River Gorge with, with uh, incredible experts. So it's, it's really uh, doesn't take scratching the surface too deep to find a lot of adventures and ways these groups are working to connect people to nature. Um, all of that sounded really fun. It, it, it sounded, you're, it almost sounded as if you were talking as a spokesperson for Travel Oregon, right? Then. <laughs> it, 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 makes, it makes it sound really exciting and, and, and I need to get out there and find oysters yeah. and butterflies and dragonflies. Um, but this is also more than just uh, recreation. Mm -hmm. How does this fit into climate change? Yes, land trusts have a huge role in addressing climate change. We have a land base, as we were talking about, that's very significant. And we know science tells us that um, our lands and waters play a crit critical role in storing carbon and sequestering carbon. Uh, we're really excited by the new administration's vision to protect 30% of our nation's land by 2030. And we think land trusts are a really important part of that. You know, you think about uh, large tracts on the coast and the, the types of temperate forests we have here and the ability to just be carbon super engines. You know, those trees are, are critical. We have North Coast Land Conservancy, one of our members working to protect um, a large community forest and source for uh, drinking water, actually. And, and I, I know land trusts feel the call to step up. We feel the urgency and we have to think about large landscapes uh, and not only for sequestration and carbon uh, storage, but also, you know, our critters need places to move. Things are gonna be changing fast. Our desert landscapes are gonna be changing. Our, we're watching it. Our Willamette Valley and, and forests burned last summer. And so we are thinking creatively and strategically about how to provide connected lands, how, how to manage lands for resilience and to support our amazing biodiversity. I think it is really interesting that you have uh, essentially public lands, but on like federal forest or state parks, uh, you you have different management over over those and over the timber, over the 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 regulation, uh, which really brings into. I mean, is there? There's obviously a shared philosophy, 
about how to run a land trust, but are there shared rules? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. You know, I think uh, every land trust has a conservation strategy and sort of management uh, goals for the properties that they protect, uh, you know, around fire resiliency, uh, we're looking at uh, more and more opportunities to buy and protect land in that interface that where between where people live and communities and forests. So um, they can be managed, this, these areas can be managed um, for, you know, low grade to handle low grade fire without moving into just an utter conflagration. And, and I think around fire, we are looking at, we're learning lessons about uh, post-fire recovery. What, what, how, how do you take a, a forest that's been burned in a high intensity fire and think for the long-term about, you know, managing it for, um, for perpetuity. And so I think that our, our members are steeped in science, you know, land trusts take a very uh, scientific approach on, on how they manage their land, but it is a really rapidly evolving area of science. Um, we, we know that, you know, in the Southern Oregon area, the Bear Creek fire, it was, uh, they're learning that areas that were managed, actively managed for the um, ecological outcomes burned with less intensity than the ones that were just left alone. And so, you know, lessons like that give us insights on how to best, you know, think about these lands, managing these lands, supporting communities. Uh, I mean, and, and I mean, how nice too. I mean, I, 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 that has been a big issue with the, uh, with the massive forest fires is that mm -hmm. those are so tethered to federal policies, you know, and we, as we all just saw and would like to forget, we had four years of, of a president who did not really care or believe in uh, climate change. Uh, and and that, that really put pressure on the federal lands. Um, but land trusts are, I mean, am I correct in saying they're somewhat liberated from that and they get to work by their own rules, which is... Absolutely. You know, and there's an advantage to being small and community-based and nimble. You know, this is, doesn't have to do with land management, but Joe Mall, who runs McKinsey River Trust, uh, will share that that land trust looked at the resources they said and, you know, basically said, listen, we've got a community burning up the McKinsey River where we're very active and we need to do something about it. So they use their land trust volunteer database to activate a network of volunteers to help the displaced communities to um, work with the evacuees to um, deliver meals, to make sure they had gas cards. You know, it, it was amazing to look out and watch uh, our members flex and show up in, in nimble ways to support the people <laughs> and the communities they work with. So, so yeah, it, it's really, a, it is fundamentally different than a large public uh, land management agency. Kelly Beamer is executive director for the Coalition of Oregon Land Trust. We're going to come back after uh, her music choice and talk to Joe Mall, who is executive director for the Mackenzie River Trust. What what you brought it? You brought some music in for us. Uh, uh, can you set this up? Yes, you're going to hear a song from Lula Wiles, who is uh, a wonderful young folk artist, who is also an indigenous uh, young woman who's been an inspiration to me and a lot of our land trust community as we think about our role in looking at the history of the lands we work on and, and the future of the lands we work on. So I hope you enjoy the song. Let's take a listen. One, two, three. 
land yours? Is this land mine? The fault lines crack and the fists they fly In the heat of the night I touch the falling sky It's a story as old as the flag in the yard The money's too tight and the work's too hard Baby, do you know just who your enemies are? And the world it sings, and the world it burns. I feel the world shaking as it turns. I feel the world shaking as it turns. It's the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Before our music break, we are talking to Kelly Beamer, who is executive director for COLT, the Coalition of Oregon Land Trust. And we're back now with Joe Mall, who is executive director for the McKenzie River Trust, which is one of those organizations that's part of the coalition. How are you doing, Joe? Doing well, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so um, I'm hoping that you can help uh, give some more specificity to uh, what land trust, or in, or in your case, what a river trust is. Can you sure. tell me how did, how did your organization come about? How and why? Late 1980s in Oregon, I think a lot of people were seeing a number of things happening in natural areas they knew well. And there were a mixture of concerns, one of which was that we would love places to death. 
that we want to live near rivers, we want to live in wild areas. And there are some consequences to that. So the McKenzie River Trust, they chose the name River Trust just because of the iconic nature of the McKenzie. It's a fundamental land trust. Was established then, 1989, all volunteer staffed beginning in the early 2000s. And it's to work with primarily private landowners, but anyone who sees in land and water public value. And so acquisition of land, management of land, work with conservation easements, development restrictions that ensure that clean water, recreational opportunity, fish and wildlife habitat, backdrop to important uh, communities, all those public values are sustained long after we're gone. And, and, and because most of our, our listeners are here in Portland, uh, and, and, and hopefully venture outside of there, but uh, tell us Mackenzie River, where it is and, and some of those, that uniqueness uh, and importance of the Mackenzie. The Mackenzie is one of the three forks of the Willamette that uh, are the headwaters. So you have the Mackenzie River, the Coast Fork Willamette and the Middle Fork Willamette that all start oh, a couple hundred miles upstream of Portland and it all runs through Portland. Um, the system has certainly changed with dams in the headwaters now, but prior to dams, the McKenzie provided about 40 to 50% of the flow that went past Portland's doorstep um, all, all year long, especially in the summer. So it's a really uh, consistent uh, spring fed sort of system, cold, clear water. I sure hope people have uh, the opportunity to come up uh, to, into the headwaters from time to time. But to know that it's flowing right past your doorstep is, uh, I think, important too. Yeah, what happens in Mackenzie is, is what happens in downtown Portland as far as water goes. That's right. That's right. And, and were there any, uh, what were some of the big hurdles to get over to pull together the, uh, the trust, uh, the river trust in this, in this incident? You know, that time frame is an interesting one. Uh, natural resources, especially the timber world, changed dramatically uh, early 1990s. And so it continues to be the fundamental challenge that I think we face today. And it's one of trust, one of people in the community feeling like there are different camps, that there's somehow a conservation camp that's different from a timber camp, that's different from um, an agriculture camp. And that position of, gosh, can I trust this person? Does she have my best interests in mind? When she says we're all here together, does she really mean it? That's it. It's earning that trust with someone who feels like their life in the woods may be different than my life in the city. Um, and that for us, the McKenzie River especially, is um, it's just such a treasure that you, you won't certainly find a, an opponent of the McKenzie River or of any river. People love rivers. And so we find that bringing people to the, pay, to the places, the spaces themselves, are a great way to build trust because you quickly find that regardless of your political stripes or your, the job you may have, we live in places like this because we cherish them, we love them. And so I, building on that, that uh, love of place, uh, we try to build the trust that then leads to agreements about what's important and what's important that we set aside, what's important that how we restrain ourselves, quite frankly, from doing some things, recognizing that, yeah, that could harm somebody downstream. Well, let's, let's, I want to hover over some of uh, that origin story a bit, uh, as well as, like, like you pointed out, it was a very contentious 
time between conservation and, and some industry interest. Um, I mean, maybe the spotted owl can be used for shorthand for, yeah. for, for some of those um, conflicts. How does that play into the River Trust policies now? Because unlike uh, the federal government, which is making decisions pretty much across the board for all the different national forests, national parks, you can make some of your own policies. Mm. And as far as how resources are used, um, I mean, is in, in a trust, can timber be removed? Absolutely. We have the flexibility of any land management agency or any, any private individual. Um, it gets written into the agreements for particular lands. You know, I, th I think you've seen a movement too away from thinking about land trust lands as somehow independent in the same way that we've moved away from thinking that, you know, a national park is somehow some entity into itself. The boundaries, the borders, they're kind of meaningless for the fish and wildlife uh, that move through the area. And if we don't attend to land stewardship across all of, of those areas, we're going to fail in, in our original goals. So we, we, we have strong partnerships with federal agencies and we look for ways that the lands that we own and manage can be leverage points for basin-wide efforts and deep collaboration with watershed councils and soil and water conservation districts, as well as the state and federal agencies to quite frankly, try to stitch back um, land that has been um, fragmented over the last 150 years of development and finding good, um, again, tr trust building in those sorts of collaborative efforts. I think the forest collaboratives that are going forward now is really undoing a lot of the harm and distrust that was sown during the period of spotted owl, marble murrelet, Chinook salmon, uh, endangered species listing. And I think part of that, I want to underscore that word stewardship that, that you, you used um, a little bit earlier. Um, I would think that um, having the people who are more directly uh, tasked with the stewardship be the ones who are actually living there is, is a big step towards that trust. I mean, rolling back the clock 30 years to, to Spotted Owl and some of the other endangered species, one of the big complaints always was that it was people in DC making decisions mm -hmm. for somebody in Oregon or Idaho. Um, I, you know, how does that, how does that work? I mean, is, so there is a, a board who uh, makes the decisions, makes the policies. Can you talk a little bit about the policy creation process? You mean for McKinsey River Trust lands or land trust lands, for example? Yes, yes. You know, like any nonprofit, our board of directors has a fiduciary responsibility, which means they're, they're on the hook to make sure that we're really carrying out a mission on behalf of, of the public good. So that, that's what's always front of mind. It's been really interesting as that conception of the public good has, you know, you look at something like an endangered species. It is a part of all of the United States, all Americans' heritage. And that's why people feel like, yeah, it does need federal protection. How do we fit into that with uh, the thousands of acres of land that we have a hand in? It's a much smaller scale. And it's a, it's a question of, well, how do you maintain the integrity of that, that, that um, natural community at the same time that you're contributing to the integrity of your local human community? And it, it's a different language. It's not something that was spoken 30 years ago. Um, and it's something that we're continuing to explore now. 
you go back even deeper and, and find that, again, the unraveling a lot of these landscapes happened with colonization of the Willamette Valley in the 1850s. And how do we restore the integrity of those relationships, not just ourselves with the land, but with First Peoples, with the Kalapuyans, with the Malala, with the Chinook? Um, again, these are conversations that we, you know, folks like me who came into this because we were, we were up on grizzly bears and, and things like that, are really wrestling with now recognizing that, yeah, the, the, this, this sense of separation between a protected area and a community of people really needs to be examined and quite frankly, broken down in a lot of places. So thank you for taking the time. This has been really helpful for us to understand more about how land and river trust works. Uh, and, um, and thanks for the reminder to get down and visit uh, the Mackenzie River. Come on upstream, Phil, we'd, we'd love to get you out. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>